0: And we are live. A special edition of Inside the War Room, January 9th, a live edition. Normally, these are not live. This will be, obviously, placed in the War Room newsletter. For those of you who aren't subscribed, hope you go there and check it out. But we thought today would be a good day to do a special edition because, well, (laughs) there's been a lot going on, David. (laughs) We have David Ramswood on with us. There's been a lot going on this week, and, you know, you are the king of hot tags. I am trying to be measured a response. I'm I'm not, that's not actually how it works out, but let me, let me play the narrative on my show at least. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's get DRW on here to break down what's happened this week from your perspective. And um, man, it feels like drinking out of a fire hose, doesn't it?
1: It does. Well, well first Ryan, good morning. Um, what a crazy last three days. Uh, it does feel like drinking out of a fire hose. I mean, um, so, so we're obviously going to, we're going to talk to talk about what's going on in the Capitol and, and the riots. And, and, and I think that equally important is not only just the media response because the media clearly crafts a narrative, but obviously last night, and you were the first person, um, to tell me that, that Trump had been punted from Twitter. And, <laughs> um, and so that, that led to a relatively aggressive, uh, a media scouring that, that I did last night. So I know we're going to talk about that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so I'm working on a piece. i probably try to get it out tomorrow. Um, no promises. But basically, kind of this idea of unseating a dictator. Now, I'm 35. Uh, you're older than me, I believe. I don't know. Yeah, 40,
1: 43. You can see the gray
0: coming through yeah. in the beard. You got, so. you got the luscious locks. I can't grow hair. Like, <laughs> um, I got the face for radio. So, anyways. um, You know, I've seen a few dictators unseated. Um, usually, they're either hanging from a noose. Or they're out in the street beaten, flogged. The narrative that's been missed in all of this was that we unseated a dictator by voting him out. That's the first time in human history that I'm aware of where you've had a, a dictator unseated by just voting him out. And obviously I'm using the dictator
1: you um, facetiously. Yeah,
0: facetiously. And, and and it's like, this is this is unpacking this, in a true dictatorship, the troops would have marched into Twitter's headquarters and rounded them up and probably had them executed publicly. So we we have to refocus on what is actually going on versus what's perceived to be going on and we we've we've that I mean that 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 ships out to sail it seems like.
1: Well, well Ryan, I mean I think that an equally important point is that the narrative going into the election was that Trump was going to try and steal it and would have a coup. And and I I almost feel like like the fact that you can watch, and again, I I know you do as well. I do try and watch both sides. I do struggle, especially of late to like turn on CNN because I, I get so mad and even NBC, MSNBC. Like it makes me viscerally mad at some of the things they say. Okay. But nonetheless, they are describing what happened in the Capitol as a coup attempt because yeah. the narrative that they had been pushing going into the election was that Trump was a dictator, authoritarian, and was going to have a coup. So, you know, and again, I compare with 100% congruence. Now, we can talk about the differences of snowflakes and that each snowflake is just a little bit different, but they're both cold and wet. And what we saw in the riots in May and, and June for BLM, and the mm-hmm. occupations and statues being torn down and mobs in every city like to the point where and I know we talked about this that you don't live in downtown I live pretty close to downtown Denver and about night 3 when there was a curfew I mean we could hear people running up and down our residential street like and I'm like are they coming in like get the guns which is not a reaction I would ever have so so it was the same as it was the 6th Angry people who have a point who aren't feeling heard went out to say a thing and to say that Trump incited this. You know, I'm really sure he he gave the same speech without the humor that that he gave every other time. And then he left and he oh, went home to tweet. So let me address the,
0: the, the here's how I view the inciting thing. Um it, It's fascinating to have these conversations. And this is why I think it's important for people to have them, because you know, the cliche is we have these conversations, but I think the more people you talk to, you know, your perspective on, on it's a little bit different than mine. I know I got a good buddy. His perspective is different on mine. And these are all people I like and respect. And, um, and, and, and so it's good to hear their perspective. And sometimes I legitimately, and I'm not saying what you're you're saying, but there's some people I like and respect. I legitimately struggle to understand how it is. They think that. And, but I know they're good. I know they're good people. (laughs) I know they're smart. I know that they're, you know, and, and we've kind of lost that ability to go that, Hey, Okay, why is uh, he or she seeing this this way? I, I really don't understand. Like it's it's foreign to me. I, I we could talk about it um in any context possible, but I don't, I don't I don't know what's going on. So that being said, um, here's my thoughts on what Trump did. I had a friend the other day call me <clears throat> about three weeks ago. And he we were, we were talking and he told me a story at the end. He waited to the very end. He told me a story. And he knew it was going to get me frustrated. And of course, I got frustrated on a little a, a little rant. I went mad at him. I was mad at the person news stories story about. And then we kind of laughed. I said, You waited to tell me that to make me mad. I think that's kind of what Trump did. So he didn't, he wasn't completely innocent and he didn't do nothing. And the other thing was he didn't say, Let's go burn it down. I think what he was trying to do was get a riled-up crowd to march down to Capitol Hill and to put pressure on the people on the inside hearing people scream from the outside and then it devolved into what devolved. So on some level, there is some culpability there, but it's not the same as saying he said, let's go burn this MF down <laughs> you when know, they marched the streets. Or he also didn't say, Hey, listen, we're going, we're just going to be cool. So that's kind of how I see it. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying that, that I'm hearing what you're saying. I heard other people saying, and it's like, God, we all watching the same thing. And this is what I kind of wrote about yesterday this idea that we need the facts and we can just re- re- resolve things. I've watched the video. You've watched the video and we just see it differently. That's something that we have to learn. We just see things differently and it's hard to deal with sometimes.
1: Well, I mean, I think related and, and again, we're focusing on the inciting and, and you know what? Clearly, clearly there's culpability, but there's culpability to go around to everyone. Agreed. I agree. Mean, you know, I, you know, there's, this is a, a small hockey story. So I'm not going to devolve, but, Um, I I listened, I, I hate the Toronto Maple Leafs. I've always hated the Toronto Maple Leafs because they would shove them down your throat every hockey night in Canada. Saturday night, first game was always the Leafs. They were always horrible. Toronto always thought they were better than every city in the world. And I hated the Maple Leafs. But their radio sportscasters were pretty entertaining. And so I listened to their show um, every, you know, for for years, mm-hmm. and they 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 were playing horrible. And one of the announcers on the show had said, you know, like if I was at the game, I'd be so mad I would throw my jersey. And and so, like at the next game, a fan threw his jersey, and then more fans threw jerseys, and then the next thing you know, the jerseys was gone, and everyone's blaming the fans. But <laughs> I mean, but and again, it was like it was a, it was a statement by a person to plant an idea. To, that, that happened to get picked up by like a very small minority. So I say all that in context of Trump has always lived by rallies. He's used Twitter, and I know we're going to talk about that. He did what he does. He's angry, and he's not a good loser. The fact that he's not showing up to the inauguration, I mean, it, but but his culpability in starting that is no different than the people who started the BLM riots and who burned cities and looted and stole and you know caused all that in May. So it's the same. So if we're going to treat Trump away, we have to treat the founders of BLM the same way and every other movement that has any protest that devolves into negativity.
0: So let me I ask think. you. Yeah. OK, so let me ask you this. Um, what do you think about the narrative that's out there that Trump doesn't believe the election was stolen? I don't know where you come in on this issue. I will I'll come in real quick. So I, I think there's plenty of interesting things, shady things, fraudulent things. I've listened to econ- I was doing a comment who I really respect, Bob Murphy. I'll include a link somewhere. He goes through the numbers and says, if you look at the numbers, there's no apparition. But if you look at it from a certain point of view, you would think there was. And he breaks down that I'm listen, I'm happy to believe that it could have happened, but I don't I don't see the evidence. Um, there are some people in the administration who said that Trump really doesn't believe this. He is parroting a narrative, and that if that would for me at least, if that were true, would change what's going on because it's one thing to say he's out there rallying it's he's rallying completely on a lie at this point. And I don't have that evidence. I don't know, but I'm curious Would it change what you're saying. If, if, if it comes out that, yeah, your know, Pence comes out tomorrow, and goes, <clears throat> good guys, Trump, you've known this is a lie for a long time. What are you doing? Would that change your take? Um, so, so
1: again, I, I think of it less as election fraud as I think about it as two things. Number one, we as a society have totally lost respect for our leaders and our news providers so we talk about like what the journalism is the pillar of a free society and and i would say that most people don't believe it so if you see it on tv i mean and that's why i think podcasting like you and i have talked about this a lot you know your your listeners don't know me um, particularly well and my listeners don't know you we know each other we trust each other and our listeners trust our our thinking Now, and we're transparent about it, but but so as a result, people are trusting personalities, they're not trusting news sources anymore. And I think that's the power of podcasting. So, you know, I don't think it's about election fraud. What I will tell you is I firmly believe that it was the media manipulating the polls that they chose to deliver the message to Republicans that a blue wave was coming and that in states like Indiana, in states like Pennsylvania, in states like Nevada, in states like Arizona, where Trump was trailing by 10 points and then ultimately lost by 20,000 votes. Well, as you know, there were libertarian candidates who took 20,000 votes and no libertarian, you and I are both libertarians. No libertarian was going to vote for Biden. So if you had a choice, it was, Biden or Trump, and the only reason you would vote for a libertarian candidate, like in Colorado, Trump had zero chance. So me voting for a libertarian means nothing. Mm -hmm. But if it was close, I would vote for the Republican candidate. Mm -hmm. So I think that the election was stolen, influenced because the media influenced voters to not show up or to throw their votes away to libertarians. And that influenced the outcome of the election. But regardless of the split, 70 million Americans aren't wrong. They voted Republican and so many people on the left want to say, "Oh, you're a Trumpian." Well, no, most people half the people quarter <laughs> people dislike him so much, right. but we dislike Biden and socialism more. So it's like, you know, the belt or the wrench. I think I'm going to take the belt.
0: Yeah, and let's put let's put this little narrative debate here that, you know, the Democrats winning the popular vote really means a lot. If you're is your point, if you're a Republican in California, are you going to wait an hour to vote for Trump? No. And if you're a, rep- a Democrat in Kansas, you're probably not either. We don't actually know what the true popular vote is because we don't ever take a true popular vote. That's not how our system set up. And so it, 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 to me, it's I don't know what would happen. I think the Democrats might be surprised if they would nat- if they try to go to a national popular, 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 popular vote, like it's speak that you would find a lot of Republicans in California and New York that you didn't know were there.
1: Well, and I mean, uh, we have the Electoral College and that is our system of government. We've had it forever. And and again, so we're gonna talk a lot about narrative. So much of this is the narrative being inconsistent. So they want a certain narrative of, well, it should be popular vote because we win on the coasts, Mm. okay? But that's not the way the country works. And if it was the split, like it was with the Supreme Court, the president has four years to appoint candidates, and three got appointed during his time because that's the way the rules work. And they wanted to rip up those rules when they didn't work. But now, you know, so we need to be consistent. Intellectually consistent mm-hmm. is the most important part, I think, of what we can do go forward and what we're going to talk about today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, real quick, on, on the, I don't know if we talk about the Supreme Court stuff or not. Here's my take on the Supreme Court. The Senate, is my understanding, does not have to push through any candidate that a president chooses. Right. So whatever you say about what the Republicans said publicly back in 2016 or 2015, um, 2016, um, about, you know, we need to wait for the election. That's that's one thing. What they say publicly, it was in the, it was within, it was within their right to not do it. It was also within the right to do it this time. Now, the messaging, I understand that's a separate issue, but there was no violation of the Constitution on either side. The Senate has the right to either approve or not approve or to solve like they, they could do that. Now, it's all politics. I get that, but to act like it was this constitutional crisis and you know they're ignoring the constitution, it's like, well, no, they're they're playing politics publicly, but they're they are by and large following the constitution. That was kind of my take. What was your take?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, and I think again, people were upset that that they got something that they didn't want. And again, this comes down to partisan politics. And I don't know when it really started. I don't know if it was Obama. I don't know if it was Bush. I don't know if it was Clinton. I was too young to really appreciate like the narrative around Clinton. But around the time with the Monica Lewinsky, like if I were to put it, if I were to to broad broad brush the last 40 years, it was about the hearings with Lewinsky that that led to such vitriol and hatred between the sides. And then every candidate, you know, going back to Obama, not my president, but not a little bit more quiet. And then certainly in 2016, not my president. So everyone's playing politics and no one's playing to the middle. So we're, we're, we've led to this massive, massive gap where even doing something, every Democrat in the world would have approved their candidate if they could have driven them through in 2016. So for them to say the Republicans were doing what they wouldn't do is a lie. And yeah. and when I, I think I told you when I was going to come back on LinkedIn, assuming LinkedIn had actually let me back on LinkedIn instead of me just coming back on LinkedIn, which will lead us to Twitter, um, I was going to do the seven hottest takes I could think of. Mm-hmm. And number one was going to be, if the Democrats want to blame anyone, blame Ruth Bader Ginsburg for being too much of a Republican. Because she knew if she retired and she had nothing to live for at the end of her life, she would have died. So she wanted to continue to work as long as possible and tried to outlive Trump. God love her for that and didn't win. But if anyone wants to blame her, blame her for being selfish and she could have stepped down under Obama and it wouldn't have been a problem. Just for, you know, just to throw that out there. just to have oh, yeah, I kind
0: of closed the window out and it got locked up on me. Yes, no, no, <laughs> I, I agree. Okay, so you are kind of my, my, my resident social media refugee. Yes. <laughs> talk, we, there's a past episode where we talked about you getting kicked off LinkedIn. Uh, you are now back on LinkedIn. Kind of a minute, kind of break down what happened so for, for folks who don't yeah. know. So,
1: uh, yeah. Morning. Yeah. So I mean, during during the coronavirus crisis, and again, this is all about narrative. And 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 anyone who believes that large cap social media companies did not influence the narrative during coronavirus to the benefit of their business, just look at their market cap. Because they're all doing better. They all have bigger market share and revenue is up. And so they control the gates. I have been saying since March, using many examples, that 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 my fear was the coronavirus was overblown. It was never a 5% fatality. It was never a 3% fatality. The infection rate was never going to reach the models and, and models are, are wrong. Predictions are wrong. I'm an energy expert and you can read a post I did on my blog, April 16th, talking about what would happen. I was totally wrong on price because I missed some major factors, which is to the point even experts get things wrong and you have to revise. And so I was saying, I don't think that this is a big deal. And if you're under 50 and healthy, there's virtually zero chance of you dying from coronavirus. That is a fact they banned me for false information with no appeal and did sort of what they did to Trump. Although Trump had been suspended before LinkedIn, just one day I couldn't log in. We sent lawyer letters. We've, we tried to get back on. They didn't even respond. They were just like, decision is final. And, and so that was my first experience with it. And subsequent to that happening to me in September, we saw some people have it happen on Twitter. It got censorship on LinkedIn. Like we saw stuff leading up to the election and obviously this is the big fish and the left would like to say and Kara Swisher who I listened to a podcast yesterday with the CEO Parlor, Parler, that there is no evidence of deplatforming right wing and censoring right wing. Well we just censored and deplatformed the president of the United States so I think that we can now talk about that.
0: Yeah and that you, you talk about messaging that's part of the problem is that if you look at this spectrum you know the if you're Ben Shapiro, um, who I would consider some kind of neocon conservative type, I, you know I don't know what he describes himself as, but he's kind of a neocon. His foreign policy is definitely not historic conservatism, but that's a more of a modern conservative. Um, you know, to call him kind of an alt right type and stuff like that is like, okay, guys, like who who is the conservative? Lindsey Graham? <laughs> like, I mean, where are the conservatives? And Lindsey Graham is is just kind of going with the flow. He's just a fish in the stream. Just oh, Trump's good. We're gonna be Trump. Trump's bad. We're going to be Trump. And I, this, for me, the biggest frustration and we'll talk about the manipulation is that why in the world do more people not realize that Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham and Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, they are all trying to get your vote. That's, that's what they try, That's what they do. They wake up and say, how do I get your vote? And if that means they call you right and you the greatest people ever and you socialists and you, I, I it seems that we, we really think that Ted Cruz, I'm going I'm, to I'm up. So Ted Cruz's solution here was we're going to do a 10-day postponement of the election to bring in 10 people to review the evidence. Okay. Let me ask you, in 10 days, how much evidence could they review for a, a five states, four states? Not much, A. Mm-hmm. B, we've seen how congressional joint hearings go when the issue is contentious. What would that have done? Nothing. No one would have ever accepted the result because they'd have been in there arguing and fighting and bickering. And so Ted Cruz's idea is not, he he knew it wasn't going to get passed. And even even if it got passed, you either had to submit that he's so stupid. He doesn't understand the state of American politics or B, he just wants a more fight to get votes. And why people can't see that for what it is to me, that's what's so frustrating because then you get these spots where you're like, Oh, well these guys are trying to screw us and these guys are on our side. Listen, Ted Cruz is just trying to score points with people, so he wins re-election or runs for president. I, to me, that's just a
1: like very basic thing. But but so much of that again comes back to the narrative. We have a mainstream media who is also, and we forget this: their business model is to sell ads. That's it. They'll do whatever they can to sell ads, and they'll push whatever narrative to do, and they'll do inflammatory politics. And so they're pushing everyone to not learn the truth. They're pushing them to learn the narrative, and so you know, I, I don't, I don't actually even blame, I don't blame people. I blame the people who have platforms who are doing it maliciously, or at the very least, not saying that they're doing it for money. And and so the the, the objectives, Twitter made nine hundred thirty-six million dollars of revenue in Q three. I looked at it this morning. They have one hundred and eighty-six million active users who tweeted five hundred million times a day which means that Twitter makes 2 cents a tweet. That's what Twitter does. And and that's what they want. And so everything that Twitter does is not about censorship or this or that. It is about making money. And until we really understand that these are businesses trying to make money, if I'm Amazon, I want all the small businesses in the country to fail because then and I want you to be terrified of coronavirus because it just so happens I can deliver stuff to your house and I'm building out delivery tools and I'm building out speakers. I can help you never leave your house again. And ta-da, I'm the second richest man in the world because Elon Musk is now the first. (laughs) I am not, to be clear. For those listening, Jeff Bezos would be who I was referring to. I would be somewhat down the list. I would be somewhat down the list. Uh, I'll just laugh at the fact that Elon Musk is the richest person in the world. I mean, and he owns like forty percent of Tesla. I, I'm going to do a technical Tuesday on Tesla this this week, similar to I do on oil and gas companies, because you know, look, it's a cult stock. But but I saw some guy on Twitter. Maybe you saw this guy. He has a hundred percent of his net worth invested in Tesla since it was like seven fifty a share, and he has like five thousand shares that have split and don't So he now has eleven point nine million dollars in Tesla stock, it's the only thing he owns, and he will not sell it. But it keeps going up six percent every day and i'm like dude like sell half sell a quarter sell three quarters like at this point this is such a big win for you what are we trying to accomplish this only ends badly and this is why the us has bankruptcy laws for personal reasons like Do you think he really has that much well he, he sends a picture of his stock account and um i'm a i mean i give him huge credit if he's owned it for a 100 bagger a 300 bagger and he didn't have the inclination to sell it once i mean that's incredible but the, the fundamentals that underlie this company, when the market turns and this bubble deflates, Tesla will be the leading indicator. It will be the canary in the coal mine, in my opinion. So on Tuesday, I'm going to write that block.
0: Okay. So let's talk about Twitter censorship. Yeah. So let's go back to coronavirus because this is definitely part of it. I was very frustrated, um, and I've made no bones about this, um, with people in my life <clears throat> who had power, um, whether it was um, – um, I won't. I won't say names. People had power to allow people to do stuff or not do stuff. Who bought into the narrative? Um, because it was quite apparent to me, who had been following it since January, what was going on. I, and I'll tell you my evolution. It's very quite clear. If you go back and listen to Eleanor Energy Week, we're like, okay, this, China shut down because China shut down. I talked to people in the Bush China Foundation. They're like, yeah, they can do this. This is China, you know. So you don't read re- re- much into it. So you're kind of thinking, okay, it's not much there. And then all of China shuts down. You're like, okay, well, whatever's going on, it's Bigger than what it was when Wuhan shut down. And then it goes to Iran. And you're like, okay, we got China and Iran. Like it's kind of hard to really read, you know, this is this isn't America. And then it goes to Italy. When it goes to Italy, um, you're like, okay, now this is the country you can look at the data. And there's a podcast out on March second or third. Um where I, I discussed this with someone, and I would stand by everything I said except for one thing, which is at the time they were telling us that our kids were gonna die. You know, and so we're because me and this guy are talking about going to Spain. And I said, Yeah, I'd be happy to go to Spain. Uh, I said, The only thing I worry about is my kids getting it. Now, between then and March 13th, because there's a, a date offline I won't get into, I had changed that position because of what happened on March 13th uh, in personal life. Um, and so by that point, <clears throat> I would stand by everything I stand by to this day from March. And I am a dummy with no college degree. I can't do advanced math, I can't do a technical Tuesday. It was so obvious to anyone who cared what was going to happen. Now, people were saying it could mutate, it could change, it could do all that. Well, of course, of course, of course, anything can happen. But what we had was very early, And I know people who got PhDs in Bayesian statistics and like, oh, you can't do enough. And it's like, shut up. I don't care what you say. Shut up. You're a moron. This is very simple. I'm sorry that you don't want to buy the narrative, but I can see what's going on here. And we wrecked our country over all of this. And to your point, Fear, social media, news, the president. The president, I think, bungled it on a lot of fronts because that's just how he is. And so we go down this path for months and months and months to where it's gotten to the point now where people don't want to admit what happened. Right? Absolutely. That, that's the problem, really, is where we're at today. They don't want to admit they screwed up six, eight, nine months ago and that we've lost um so much of our rights and our freedoms and pop so much. And so that's the thing. They just don't want to they
1: don't want to take the L. Well, Ryan, and and I think that you it, again, everything always comes back to coronavirus for a lot of reasons. And I, I had a, a guest on, on my podcast yesterday that, that's a mental health expert. And so we're we're talking about the physicality of like coronavirus and being locked in your house and what that did mentally to people. And that but and you can't delink that with what we saw in May. Like the riots that happened in May oh, was I mean, and 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 let's be clear, everyone in America That officer and those nine minutes were the most horrific nine minute video that I've seen. And to think that the police could do that. And and I hear stories about police roughing up people for like minor violations. And that's bad that the, the laws need to be enforced, but we created not laws to have an emergency to scare people. We then didn't enforce the laws we had in May. We left everyone in their house. And the only people who benefited from coronavirus we're the wealthiest. The people who own stocks because they're now higher. The people who stayed invested because they weren't afraid. But the small businesses in our country are, are crushed. The the workers, the the people, the people that we know, our friends that you know don't have. They're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're being crushed. So now their life has been taken from them. And then we're getting mad at them for taking their anger out in what happened on on Tuesday. And, and no one's taking the culpability of the fact that it was the lockdowns, it was the media, it was the mental health, it was the hysteria, it was the not listening, it was the, you know, why didn't we open in the summer? 14 Days to Flatten the Curve was about hospitals. In the yeah. summer, people were not in hospital beds. We didn't open the economy to facilitate that in so many states. So we have this pent-up rage. Everyone is so angry. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing, and no one takes that accountability, and they want to blame it on Trump, who was, in April, as you know, trying to open the economy for Easter, and was the only politician who was out there saying, this is bunk, which, unfortunately, as the President of the United States, he he did it in the wrong way. But he was right. Like, if you look at him, what he said was right.
0: Oh Well, okay, so what I said privately to people, and I'll stand still by this, was if we're going to do anything back in March, if we're going to do anything— Let's take the 60, 65, we can kind of pick a day, give them three months' living expenses, um, pick the organ donor people, stage four cancer people, whatever. There's a small section of the population, um, 65 up's not. But take those people, let's give them three months to kind of stay at home and let the rest of us kind of go through this process, and then we'll figure out what to do then. I don't you know, because... At the time, I had no idea what three months was going to look like. Um, and, I, and as a libertarian, I'm not for just passing out free dollars and stuff like that. But that was a reasonable compromise that we could have done. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we would have killed less people than Cuomo would have killed if he would taken my advice. And so, you know, and that, again, these were not hard concepts. This is not – I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't understand all the transmission. I don't understand a lot of stuff about it. I understand just the basics, and the basics are, are not very hard. New Zealand has the declared victory twice over – up twice over the virus because it can't keep it off the island how in the world is our country ever going to shut it down and it's like guys this is not this is just so simple so when you get to this point the the coronavirus you had the team trump and you had the team democrats going into 2020 then you have the coronavirus right and that really kind of broke the teams up because now you've got team covid and not team covid and i think that tension um for months and months and months really weighed on americans as you say people staying at home they're not sure what to do and then i mean families you know i know people who haven't seen their families in like a year because they're afraid that they're going to get covid and it's like what in the world like okay i've told people if 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 headline reads tomorrow irrelevant podcaster dies of covid please know that i'm fine with that (laughs) like If I become one of the one percent
1: that dies, oh, I thought <laughs> you were talking about me, and I feel the same way too.
0: <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Well, um, yeah, hundred percent. Look, headlines like "Man who who thought COVID was a mistake dies." Like, well, okay, did he still? Was it worth? It's worth it. Now, I don't want to go die in um, a tourist country because I'm on a vacation. I don't want to go die for that. I'm happy to live my life, and if the COVID gets me, then so be it. Mm-hmm. That is. I love my friends. I love my family. I love living life. And man was not created to sit at home in isolation. And so um, we do have a lot of built up tension and things that are frustrating. Another thing to your point is you're sitting here, you're losing your, your shirt and you look at the stock market and CNBC is like, wow, look at that, Tom, all time highs today. And you're like, yeah who's spending money we can't leave our house you know apple is up it's like what and so there's there's that tension as well where you see the elite are making it hand over fist and you're losing it and it's not like they're making it and you're losing it because you know you got fired they're making it and you're losing it while y'all are all while we're all
1: at the house yeah we're we're in it we're in it together we're in it together (laughs) you know And and by in it together, I mean, like, I I need you to go to work while I cut your wages and lay people off and and force you in your home. Um, No, I I, and and again, there will be there will be books written about this. And and I agree that no one has wanted to go back. And maybe 2022 is the time. Maybe 2024 is the time. And and obviously, our, our political system is such that when you're unhappy, you get to vote new people in. I think what we've seen with Newsom, who was the first to shut down California, who has the most stringent rules on masks, et cetera, and yet they're still growing cases. And the fact that Californians want to recall him for the horrible job he's done. And, and when he's at whatever that thing's dirty laundry, the $300 a plate like oh. dinner while he's yeah. telling everyone else, they shouldn't be doing Thanksgiving. I mean, the hypocrisy is just so far beyond what any American can possibly take. And And the reality is we're not in it together. If anything, our social circles have been made smaller. Yeah, We've been on social media where we generally live in echo chambers because especially in social media with anonymous accounts, people can say things way more inflammatory that they would never say in person. And so therefore, you don't follow those people and you follow all the people that are like you because it makes you happy and reinforces. So if anything, 2020 has undone 50 years of race relations. We're we're more racist. We're more sexist. We're more classist. We're more elitist. We have more hatred for the others today than we have at any point in my lifetime that I can remember. And that is the legacy that we'll live out of coronavirus.
0: Yeah, and let's let's talk about Twitter specifically. I want your thoughts on it, but you mentioned something earlier I meant to to touch on. Um, You talked about the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky deal. So I was in probably sixth seventh grade that happened. i remember it happening um um not on what year it was anyways but um that was first year
1: university i think is when it happened to me okay. so
0: it's that. easy for me so the fall so when you start school in the fall whatever year that is that's my grade so 96 right it's so whatever year it was that's what grade i was um i remember it happening though um but you know what i didn't know at the time was you know ken Starr, newt gingrich all of those guys have been have all kinds of other skeletons in their closets And, you know, Newt, I think has had like three wives, you know, when my point is, is that when I, as I became an adult, I went back and looked at that. What I realized was what I think today, which is there's a bunch of political hacks who are all going after each other that none of them really have the morals, the rights playing to the moral right, the left defending the left. And here we go. And. It, 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 that message, for some reason, for Americans, we get it when it's the other side. Like, oh, those are the bad people. Right. But we don't really think that our guy is a bad guy. And I'm just here to tell you, there. Are, I, 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 you, how many kids you got? I have two. I got, okay, so I got four. You got two. Name the sitting senator or congressman or POTUS that you would let watch your kid for a night out in town.
1: I mean, well, I mean, I guess in coronavirus, I'd probably let anyone watch my kid because I just want to go out on the town. So like, like pick your guy. Um, I mean, right now I'm going to go. I mean, I wouldn't actually go Trump right now because I think he's angry, Uh, but he doesn't drink and he'd be very entertaining for two hours. But no, I mean, your point is exactly right. And and by by today's standards, I like that you went back and looked. And I think that this, again, for listeners and for for people, Separate your views of their politics from the person, just for a second. And so, like Bill Clinton did, what a hundred million men have done, did doing other did. <laughs> it, it, was it good? No. Would, would we condone it? No. But it, was it like that unusual? And by today's standards, when you compare to what's going on in like, like basically anything, that was pretty mild and for for that level of vitriol and then i I think on top of that and and someone i follow followed because i'm not going to be on twitter anymore but um monica Lewinsky actually you know she had to live with that Mm. and and you know victim blaming or not i don't blame her at all she was like totally tossed aside by the media which again was the first example of the media could like ruin someone's life and she's she's had to rebuild and she didn't want to change her name because that was her name and and she I saw this tweet from her once that someone said, What's the worst career advice you've ever got? And she said that that working at the White House would look good on my resume. That was her, her response. <laughs> and and for, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, for her to say that, like I don't care your views of her, but, but when I heard that and I saw her on Colbert and talked, she deserves more than she got. And and the Bill Clinton thing was very unfortunate for for her etc but i thought that was the greatest that's probably the greatest tweet that's ever been sent in the history of. <laughs> okay
0: so twitter linkedin insert social media company here and maybe we need to tease them out um let's start with what are your overall views of tech censorship i don't think we agree on this i don't i think i've seen a little bit of your comments but i'm i don't i'll not back I, I think i've seen some of your stuff so where sure.
1: so i'm not i'm not a lawyer so okay that with this, this section- Yes. Yeah. So, so tech, tech, section two hundred and thirty to me is extremely important mm-hmm. because to me, what it does is it shields liability to tech companies for things that are said on their platform that are not egregiously illegal. Where if it's illegal, they take it down. Like for example, you know, the the CEO of Parler said, like if I posted your personal address on the system mm-hmm. and like with a call to like, you know, mm-hmm. go go get Ryan. That's illegal and will Mm -hmm. have consequences. But Section 230 shields the liability from the things people say. And with that is a responsibility for social media companies to outlaw illegal things, Mm -hmm. but not to pick and choose the winners and losers. So Mm -hmm. so my view of social media is Section 230, as it exists today, means that they should not be banning anyone on the platform and they should only be removing illegal content that is that is my wholehearted view
0: do you think we should keep section 230
1: i think it should be repealed but i also recognize that in repealing it the the business model of facebook and of twitter and of linkedin and of everything goes away because if you're liable the same way media like news media are for things that people say on your platform, you're only going to allow contributors, and it's going to be highly vetted. And then you're going to end up with CNN again, where only Anderson Cooper gets to talk and, and a couple of guests for two minutes. That's and Don Lemon.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. That well, might be, what,
1: what's your view on it?
0: Yeah, so I think first off, Trump was a genius for threatening to repeal Section Two Hundred and Thirty, and people are like, "Oh, he's so stupid, they kick him off." Well, they kicked him off, <laughs> and now he should now now they should repeal it just to like. To go tit for tat to say, okay, hey, if you want to, if you want to act like this, because you're saying that you can't have me on your platform, despite the fact you let the communist China, you let Iran, you let Iran, our, our you let all the Antifa, you know, you're you you by no objectionable standard actually monitoring. I mean, uh, Andy, know if you follow him, he's always pointing out Antifa agonizers and stuff. They still have accounts, so Twitter doesn't actually care about censoring um, violence. They don't care about that. So. Let's just put that out there. Um, Correct. I agree that the, that the president of the United States has more authority, he has more power, and and he can do more things with the tweet than anyone else can. I, I'm I'm aware of that as well. Um, but let's the, the pretense that that Twitter's on this moral high ground and they're they're really serious about this stuff. I don't buy that for a, a second. Um, what they wanted to do was they're pissed off that that Twi- that Trump used Twitter to get elected, and now. They can stick it to them. Not only can we kick you off your platform, you're going to spend your last few days, can't tweet. And even if you go to your official government account, we're going to delete that. And so that, to me, is what's really going on here. And so if they want to do that, I don't know why they need the Section 230 protection.
1: I concur. I concur.
0: So so that's the the question. So why do you need it? And that's the problem with all of this. As a libertarian, we start mixing government and you start mixing uh, businesses. You start getting these deals. It's like, well... Well, why do you need the government to do this? And so, the overall question is: the point is, <clears throat> do we need laws um, at the federal level that say, you know, if I put out there, you know, DRW is cheating on his wife tonight or something like that? There's there should be no law that twi- that, that 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 makes Twitter liable regardless. Like that's just that's just stupid, right? Like,
1: like uh, so so so, Ren, I agree with you, but I would I would add one. Sub caveat to that, which is the same thing as what Mitch McConnell and and was one of the reasons I was hopeful. And then clearly everything's fell. But like they wanted coronavirus liability protection for companies so that you could not be sued. And in California, you've seen the, the statutes that say that, like, it is the employer's responsibility to prove that the employee didn't get it there and to pay them benefits as though they got it there. And so the the issue in our country right now is, is lawyers. In- oh, yeah. And tort law reform is required, and so the reason two hundred and thirty protection exists for social media companies for frivolous lawsuits, where you know the thing that you just said, someone takes a clip and puts it on Twitter, and everyone freaks out, and then I sue Twitter, mm. even though even though like that's just not being adult about things. Like if lawyers are involved, bad things are happening. So so there has to be like more nuance, and so I I, I understand that tactically. If we didn't need 230, there would be frivolous lawsuits against these companies all the time. And so to a certain degree, I actually am in favor of having 230, but then you can't, Twitter is not an elected official. And if, if everyone didn't see last night, when they can censor the president and then delete the tweets he sent from the, the official account, which wasn't his account had never been violated as POTUS. They just decided to take down the tweets. And that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The slippery slope of that is, so why are we believing when Twitter lets people pump out that coronavirus is terrifying? Oh, you should just go to Amazon and buy everything and never leave your house. Oh, UFOs landed. No, no, that's wrong. We're going to delete that. We're going (laughs) to flag it. And we're going to do all these things. Because how many times have you seen left-sided things flagged for not being true? And even by adding the true flag, I now assume if I don't see a false flag it's probably more true which is also equally bad because right. they're not fact checking every 500 million tweets a day are yeah. sent out so so that there's it's just it's a horrible issue and the fact that they banned the president of the united states for any reason is crazy although i did want him banned i mean i made a joke on linkedin like early on there's like dear twitter please <laughs> remove the president's account and i think it was like right after he tweeted something around like comparing the size of the nuclear weapon button to Kim Jong-un. Like, like that, that was a scary interchange, but if that didn't lead to him being banned, like, see that to me there. Okay. So North Korea Korea
0: thing is the most overhyped thing in the history of mankind, North Korea. Uh, Michael Malice has a book called dear leader, dear reader. I can't remember. It's a spoof on the thing. And he, so he wrote a book about uh, North Korea. And if you go listen to his talks, Michael Malice, um, I think it makes a very good point, which is Kim Jong-un understands that he will either end in a casket because he died of old age, or he will be drugged into the street and the dictator talk murder, that will happen to him. Right. There is no Kim Jong-un going to a desert island and getting to live a retired life. Right. So when you start thinking about that, you say, okay, so so then for him to press the button, assuming that they even got a weapon that can get over here, the, that means that he knows that he's going to die. Well, he doesn't want to die, he wants power. All he wants to do is stay in power. So there is, I don't want to say zero threat, because it can happen, but there's almost zero threat from North Korea. Or they would have bombed us a long time ago. There's nothing stopping them. China's backing them. South Korea doesn't want to do anything. So all of that talk about, oh, my God, North Korea. Well, why don't they do anything? Because they don't want to. Because he wants to be in power. And you know what happens when he bombs us? He gets killed. Yeah. He's not in, so, like, the whole North Korea thing to me is,
1: is a is a. Oh, for sure. For sure. I just remember it as being like, like seeing it because I wasn't on Twitter at the time. And, and you know, like I, I'm not a fan of president Trump. I think that he did some good things. The person and the narcissist is he got in his own way in 2020. Otherwise he would have won if he had had that level. And you and I talked about this before. Remember when he was in John, what was the medical center? Is it John Hopkins that he was uh, at? Walter Reed or Walter Reed, Walter Reed. When he was at Walter Reed and had that video, thanks everyone for like caring and you know, I feel better, and the doctors are amazing. That level of humility, just a touch, was like likable, even for people who didn't like him. Right. And if he had just done that at any point in 2020, I, you know, for for a duration of time, <laughs> we're 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 not here. But but you know, so the Twitter thing—it's shocking that a non-elected official can censor. And there's no judge, there's no jury, there's no executioner, there were no criminal charges laid against him. There was nothing other than the court of opinion. And so now we're at a very interesting place in a, in our history because social media, I blame for the divisiveness and the hatred that exists in our country today. And and it, it stands to reason that Twitter got him elected and Twitter is ushering him out. So what comes next is the real question.
0: Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. So you have Trump who has been censored, kicked off, and then you have China, which um, for those of our, our listeners who don't know, um, when a Chinese official puts something out, it is 100% state organized propaganda. Like there is no like, so we could have the governor of Texas put something out and the governor of Florida puts something out and the governor of New York puts something out and they could be like fighting on Twitter. That ain't happening. That all that dog ain't hunting in China. So, you know, they are literally getting a script from Beijing and they're they're, they're publishing it out. Um, those tweets are not labeled as propaganda. Right. And then, and like, there's some about the Uyghurs that were out yesterday, uh, two days ago, and it's like like how the Uyghurs are better off now because they've been you know, enlightened or whatever. It's like, good Lord, man, like, Twitter, like, seriously? Like, you're you're allowing this? <clears throat> Another thing <clears throat> on tech censorship is I have WeChat on my phone. You know what I can't talk about on WeChat? Tiananmen Square, the CCP. I can't do anything. So it's level. So there is no stance. So just so that I'm clear, whatever I say is under the guise of the these – Thought
1: police tech moguls. They they totally inconsistent. They're they're running by the government that they're in, and it's a business. And and what's amazing to me is when Facebook was in trouble for for allowing the hack and influencing the 2016 election, the 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 media actually did their job and actually really investigated. And there are podcasts and books written about it in 2018, and Facebook took a huge hit from it. And and it's amazing now that the shoes on the other foot that no one is investigating. No one has come out and talked about how unbelievable it is that Twitter just banned the most I don't care if you like him. I am not a fan of Biden. I am deeply afraid that he will forget his name at some <laughs> time during the his presidency. But like he's the president. Like you don't get to censor the president of the United States. You just don't. And and that's, it's truly amazing that no one has, very few have said that.
0: Well, so for me, the the, the, the thing is, is that, okay, if you want to be a private company, it's like the gas station outside my back gate, no shoes, no shirt, no service. If, you know, I, I you know, if they want to, if they want to make you wear a mask I, wear your mask, I don't care. Let them operate their business. When you start mingling with the government, that's for me where the lines get a little blurry. <clears throat> I don't have a set standard how to apply that. This lines get a little blurry and tech is in that blurry line. Syndrome. Um, obviously, they're not consistent either, so you, you have that. Um, but the fact that they censored the president while we're in the most tumultuous time ever, like what should have happened from my perspective is Jack pick up the phone Mr. your president. Listen, listen. Let me tell you something. Here's what we're seeing: people are losing their everlasting mind. Can we please, please just this just stop for a while? Just uh, like when you say that you're going to do this, don't bring up the fact that it was stolen. When you say this, this you, you're, you're like. If, if that had happened and then you know Twitter comes out like listen we, we called the president we showed him all the like what's actually happening um, you know how we've had to notify law enforcement a thousand times because the bomb you know that's that that is a one that's one thing but that's not how this thing goes down it's just a you're off with your head and, and again it goes back to you know who's you know who believes what what are they wanting to do how they want to work with you and that's not there at all and I'm not saying Trump would have listen to be clear but it wasn't like Twitter is actually wanting to work with the president's office either. And he, you know, it's not like he's sitting there every day going, I'm going to buy North Korea. I'm going to buy North Korea. I'm going to buy North Korea. And they call him up like, Mr. President, listen, <laughs> you know, we got a lot of angry folks. You know, I can understand at that point Twitter providing evidence like this is what we're seeing when you do this. And we don't know what's going to happen. And we're, we are genuinely afraid. So We called you. We, we, we respectfully ask you to back down. I think that's a different discussion if that would have happened. What do you think about that? Uh,
1: So I I totally agree. And and I think that the point you even made before, like, what could they have done? Now, I don't know Donald Trump. I, I clearly don't. Um, I don't think he does a very good job listening or taking advice. I don't either. So I'm not sure he would, but I agree that that would have been a better process. And that was, to be honest, it was like my complaint on LinkedIn. If they wanted to ban me for wearing women's panties on my face as a mask to make the point that they don't work, and then they said that that was a public health risk because I was setting the stage for something, that was at least a better reason. Mm-hmm. So so I agree with you that there should have been a, a different process. But, But the point you made earlier was the duplicity. The struggle that I'm having is the argument that people are making, and so for those, although there's probably not anyone who agrees with this that's listening to this show, but if you believe that Twitter is a private company and they should get to do whatever they want now, and then we take two thirty aside and we already had that conversation, but Twitter is private. If they don't want to have him on, it's it's their prerogative. It's not a town square. He can go do a newsletter. He can start a website. You know, they aggregate voices and they don't want his voice, so they're private. I totally agree with that. However, the government has told the restaurants they can't open. Okay. And, so, and so the duplicity of the same people who are cheering Trump being kicked off for private companies exercising their private rights mm-hmm. are also the ones that got mad at restaurants who were saying, I need to open fully because I want to go on a plane with no masks. I would pay for a ticket if you told me this is the dirty plane. I want to go on that plane. It's like I want, like I don't want to go to the restaurants that have people sitting 80 feet apart. I want to go to the bars where people are sweating on each other and <laughs> licking each other, and like I want it. I like I want life back. And quite frankly, the sooner life comes back, the less angry all of us are at people because my social circle doesn't include those people. Mm-hmm. But when I go to a football game or a hockey game or a restaurant or a bar or whatever, you meet people from different places. So it's the duplicity that is the real core crux of this and the intellectual inconsistency of how people don't see that.
0: 100%. So I would say um, I'm more okay with the tech censorship, assuming that they're separate from government, but I'm also saying that if the government tells you, you can't go to church, you can't open your business, that ain't their, that ain't their job. Like they, they shouldn't be in that. And Correct. We, we don't really believe in, you know, rights and, and justice and things like that. And, and the right and the left are both guilty of this. um. And, and so we, we've really lost the ability to think about it. Go, hold on, wait, you know, if, if this church here meets, or let me put it like this, Trump had the Rose garden deal and that was called the Rose garden massacre. Right.
1: <laughs> Is that what they yeah. called it? I mean, yeah. I can't, I can't even. No one, died. no one died.
0: Not a single person for that event died. The one where he got the coronavirus from the Rose garden massacre. Yeah. No one died from that. I mean,
1: it is, it's never been,
0: yeah. you know, you, so now we got Chris Christie out there saying, well, I should have wore a mask and all this stuff. It's like, Chris, bro, if you didn't die from it, I'm definitely not putting a mask on. No offense.
1: <laughs> and I agree. But, but, I mean, and that comes back full cycle to your point. Politicians just want to make. They want to get votes. And the problem with Trump was that he didn't actually care about that. So, like a friend of mine said, you know, Trump's problem was he talked about the coronavirus the same way David, you talked about the coronavirus. And as the president, you can't be flippant towards masks and et cetera, et cetera. But Chris Christie, like, he can't get away with saying you shouldn't wear a mask because 50% of people will automatically hate him. Whereas the rest of us, like, I don't like the mask, but it's amazing, actually, for as angry as I was about it when they first implemented the rules in whatever July, now I'm just like, you know, I got him in all the pockets of my pants, I just throw them on and like, like, I've become accustomed. So like me hearing a politician say that he's pissed off about it, like is not going to change my vote, but it will absolutely change a vote of someone who like... Is, is more in the middle. So you're, but you're totally, Rose Garden massacre my ass. I agree. Chris Christie is the poster child of why this is not a dangerous vaccine, uh, da- dangerous um, virus.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we, we, I don't know my question, and we took 15 minutes to get here. I apologize. But where do we go, where do we go from here? Because if you're a Republican, and I, I was talking, you know, I texted you last night, and you know, one good thing from the coronavirus is I got to meet you. I didn't know you. So this has brought me and you um, our past probably wouldn't have crossed that this. So, yeah. um, but one of the, y'all was talking about my wife last night and I was just sitting there and I was just like stunned. Like this is not, like, this is not only did they kick Trump off Twitter. That's, that's one step. Then you have Apple saying that they won't potentially allow it in the app store. And then of course, if they do that, then you know, Google's going to kick it out. And I sent a tweet like, Hey, if Apple does this, people are going go to Google, everybody's like, Oh, well, Google's going to do it too. It's like, well, obviously, but you can work around it on Google, but,
1: People and and Google did it, and Apple hasn't actually.
0: Yeah, interestingly enough, right? But if you ban the parlor app, which I've tried to play around on several times, it just doesn't work well for me. So I don't know, maybe they'll get it fixed. If you ban parlor, like you know, at that point, you are really, really going hard after Republicans. And I hate to use the term civil war because that's like I will use it in private company, we're talking about stuff. But to publicly use that term, I'm very reluctant because it's a serious deal. And anyone who wants to go look up, go back up um, when the apartheid was ending in South Africa. There was a video and they they cut away the last second where um, I'll try to find it where these 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 white guys get shot on the side of the road because they were trying to overthrow the government. And it was I mean, like that's what happens in civil war. That's what I think of is these um, the white guys, the bad guys in this video, the black guys were. Get them anyways. but that's what I think of is people being shot on the side of the road because they are fighting. Like when we say civil war, like that's a term we shouldn't throw around lightly. But if you keep pushing people, David, it th- what do you you know? I, I
1: agree. That's the scary thing here. And so, Ryan, I mean, to me, I think about hot war versus cold war, and mm. so if you go back to the beginning of coronavirus, I would even say that this was China, I mean, China, you know, and I remember I was giving speeches in January, February, and I'm like, it's 45 people a day in a 1.3 billion person company or uh, country like this isn't even a thing. Like, are we like, are we joking ourselves? And but the data was wrong. Mm -hmm. And and they shut down domestic flights out of Wuhan, as we know, Mm -hmm. before they shut down international flights. And Trump did try and shut down flights from China. And he was called a xenophobe. But (laughs) I mean, to me, this, this coronavirus escalation, and I'm not saying it was in a lab and I hate when people say conspiracy theory. I'm asking the genuine question. It was a real virus. I think it was allowed out in the world and I think it was part of the trade war because hot wars with bullets, are a lot more dangerous to economies than Cold Wars. And so when I think about a civil war now, I think about a Cold War. I hope it doesn't come to people dragging people out of each other's houses and shooting them. But yeah, I'm deeply concerned. So should parlor be banned? I think it begs the question of the role of social media. And I've been thinking a lot since Twitter banned Trump. I don't like Twitter. I've never liked Twitter. And I particularly don't like the anonymous characters on Twitter, although I understand it. So I've, you know, I've, I've been critical of those people before. You know, free speech is a thing, but so are consequences for those people. But social media has allowed everyone to have a voice and everyone to have a platform and everyone to build a thing. And so we all like that, but at a very, very large cost. And so where do we go from here? I don't think we should be driving conversations underground. We should be surfacing them and we should be having dinner parties with people of slightly different political persuasions and talking about these issues so we can come together. Mm -hmm. Um, That's number one. But for me personally, I actually think that this is going to lead to me leaving Twitter um, and just deactivating the account. There's some good I like, you know, like, for example, Twitter was the first people to call that that the Dems were going to win the Senate. Mm-hmm. Because the news media outlets were so afraid to prematurely call it because of 16 that now they're terrified. So you just look at like 10,000 people talk and, you know, generally the average was that the Dems were going to win and there was some logic behind it. So, you know, but the downside to that is they're controlling the narrative. So they're the social, the social dilemma movie. If everyone hasn't seen it, you should see it because there's their their algorithms are built to keep your eyes to sell ads So they're going to send you whatever hate speech and whatever, whatever keeps you engaged. So to me, it's a question of should we be doing social media as a society? And does this mean that all Republicans pull off Twitter, which means half the users go away, which means Twitter collapses as a company? Right. You know, and that is maybe the best thing that comes out of this.
0: Yeah, I think I sent a tweet to you a while back, which was, you know, if you want to influence Twitter, influence the money. You know, it's just quite simple, which is either A, you don't tweet on there anymore, or B, you start pounding their biggest um, stock shareholders like, hey, guys, you got to do something, you got to do something, which is what, you know, those are just two easy ways to do it. Um, Banning Trump, you know, is a bold strategy because I think Republicans now on some level, some of them will want to get banned, like they want to wear the badge of honor. So they're going to be out there, you know, pounding on Twitter, hoping that they get banned just like their guy did. But plenty of them are seeing like, okay, hey, uh <clears throat> if they ban Trump, then then I'm a nobody, right? He had what eighty eight million followers, I'm I'm gone. So there will be an exodus from you know um Twitter to parlor or wherever, and we'll see how that goes. But the other thing is on the anonymous deal, I the problem with the anonymous people are is they're so much more belligerent, it seems, than Absolutely. the non and it's like you know, don't always spend time with some anonymous guy. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's Trump Jr. Maybe it's some bum at the street. You know, why, I don't know. Um, but you know, one of the things that 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 I, I like, and I appreciate, is having conversations like we're having now, or like with other people. Um, I like those because those are actually beneficial. They make me think. They go back and reflect on a tweet. You don't really reflect on a tweet, right? It's here. Yeah. Maybe there's a little back and forth, and then you go on. And I think we've kind of taken Twitter or LinkedIn post or Facebook post. We've kind of taken that as okay. Hey, this is a substantive conversation, and we really made some good points. But then, a yeah, good conversation, you go back and you think about. It. You go okay, because you're gonna you're, you said some things today. I might to go okay. He said that that's a good point. He said that good point. I got I got I got tweet this here. I said that that was stupid. I should have said that. I should have formed. You know, that's how you actually learn. As you think about what you said, and we gotta have more of those conversations. And Twitter parlor in a really good spot for that. I don't know how we, how we move to that position. And what I said at the beginning was, um, I think it's important is having people. I'm not advocating that you have someone in your life with all the different positions, but I'm saying that realize that there are people in your life who are good people who just literally see Donald Trump say something differently than you do.
1: Yeah.
0: That's it's fascinating. Seriously.
1: <laughs> well, well, I mean, and and t- so Twitter, you're you're right. People aren't reflecting on tweets, and people like control or they don't read the comments, and they're not really engaging. And 280 characters is just not a thing anyway. Mm, so Twitter crazy. is different. Facebook and LinkedIn. I mean, I will say, when I was off LinkedIn, I missed it. I, I missed because I had you know 16,000 followers who were all business professionals, all in energy, and I would get 10 or 15 emails a day, and the comments. They were actually like substantive conversations, and like people really enjoyed the engagement. So, so for me, being having LinkedIn taken away, they have built a good tool. And of the social media platforms, I actually think LinkedIn is the best. Twitter, I I, I struggle though because do I really want to miss some of the things I get? That's a benefit. Like the, you know, the, you can see, as you know, you can scroll in 15 minutes and see like a hundred things and you get a sense of what's going on. And, and that has to be anonymous because anonymous people have really smart things to say. They just don't want people to know who they are. Right. But so, so then I think about, so if I go off Twitter what does that mean? And I think every single person who is a Republican today, including those politicians, knows that Twitter has provided a platform for them to do something. They're using it for benefits. And so they need to weigh the cost benefit of, do I want to go to parlor? Do I want to just go off Twitter? Do I want to start a website? Do I want to do a news media? You know, is this the birth of, of radio talk shows again? You know, like. I, I, you know, cause this is kind of dialogue and whoever's tuning in can hear us talking about things and they're driving their kids to stuff Saturday morning. And they're like, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and it's background noise, but it's like educational and entertaining. And so what does it all mean? I don't know.
0: I, I think, I think the, the, the radio thing is fascinating. I haven't thought about that. I do think that that might be a, a spot to we see a return to because that's a medium where you could have a, three four hour show like rush limbaugh or hannity or i don't listen to talk radio anymore but something like that that's on the web now so you can bring in the web and so you can have comments that are more than you know you can have substantial comments and you can have calls and you could actually have unlike with radio you have a segment on the internet you can have a caller call in and talk for five minutes you know and, and kind of go back and forth and t- tease out ideas and so you could almost foster with the the um the host, if you will, and the audience, you can actually foster longer form conversations. I like that idea because that's something that, you know, with radio, it's bang, 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 bang. We got to get you, get you out, but on the internet, you can kind of mix that with people who can call in and they can be on here and you can have a little bit more long form conversations. And I think that, that you said, that may be the best idea I've heard to date, which is um, allowing the host to interact with their audience and other members over three to four hours because Joe Rogan's podcast Whatever you say about it, I don't I'm not a regular subscriber. I, I watch it kind of here and there. Well, not 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 now on Spotify, but right. uh, you know, it's the number one podcast and it's three to four hours long. People like long form content. They they just do. They don't really like tweets. I mean they, they like them, I shouldn't say that, but you know what I'm saying? Like
1: they don't love long form content. They love, they love it because, because everything is nuance. Like there is no thing that can be talked about in 280 characters without like a slightly different view. How many times have you been in a Twitter fight with people where you ended up – were, you were actually saying the same thing? And they like, – like some guy yesterday tweeted at me because I, I asked a poll question. That was leading up to our conversation today. And I, and I haven't checked the results because I'm not going on Twitter anymore. Um, but I, I said, Are you concerned that Twitter just banned the president of the United States? And then in brackets, I said, And take aside your feelings for the man, like think about what they did and the slippery slope. And somebody who trolls me constantly, every time I say anything, he's like, you're the dumbest person ever, which is totally fine. But but he said, oh, in 2020, you're saying, you know, everyone should do whatever they want. Private companies shouldn't be restricted by government. And now you're saying that Twitter should be restricted. And I'm like, well, no, I'm actually not saying that even remotely. You should work on your reading comprehension. But. But like if we had a kid, so all of this to say Twitter in the age of uh, 2020 coronavirus, we were all locked in our houses. And the only way to have a conversation with people that were outside of your social circle or in different cities was on Twitter. So Mm -hmm. it was the community. Like people talk about EFT and the energy world. The EFT is a community of people who all know each other and Mm -hmm. feel like they're all friends and they want to have dinner parties now and little charity things. And it's cool, but it's community. Right. So so this, as a radio show, is a community where people can be commenting and calling in and adding. This replaces that, but with real content and real communication. I think that maybe that is what comes out of this as we move back to this is really about we need community and we need um, belonging and we need to eliminate divisiveness. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is through long form communication like Rogan or like this and have call in and interaction.
0: Well, that's interesting because the other thing that 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 something like if Rogan show had call in, you could still be anonymous if you want to be, right? So you could still preserve, you I mean your voice, obviously, but other than that, you could still be anonymous and have that a benefit. So that, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. I, I do like that I, that concept as a as a potential, assuming Twitter doesn't kick you off um, for streaming on the platform. <laughs> so let me ask you this: We are what twelve days away from the inauguration. Trump said he wasn't going to go on Twitter. <laughs> It would be so funny if he changed his mind and he didn't getting tweeted out.
1: <laughs> he just
0: shows up. Oh, no. Like, like, oh, well, well, if I had Twitter, I would have told you I was coming. Um, Biden's coming in, and unfortunately, let's call the spade the spade here. The Republicans had a moral argument up until three days ago. We don't do this. We don't storm the buildings. Whatever you think about what happened on Wednesday, the Democrats will – there's no nuance to the Democrat side, so – the, the, the moral high ground has been lost. Yeah. Uh,
1: and in fact, they're saying it's worse than the BLM riots. I think it's the same. But yeah, 100% they're saying like that was a coup and Republicans are all bad, even though most of us weren't in Washington for it.
0: So I think Biden was an establishment Democrat who was going to do establishment things, which means that AOC and all those kill types, a lot of the uh, ty- ty- uh, um, would be pretty frustrated. Now, I'm not sure if that will play out because he he doesn't have to. He can do what he wants to. He can and he really has an enemy in the Republican Party. Um, how do you see this planet? How do we calm down? I know David Bonson has suggested that maybe Trump should strike a deal where he resigns um, and they give him a pardon, you know, kind of a kind of a swap deal. Okay, he's gonna go on home, he won't ever run again, but they're gonna leave him alone. Like they're not gonna prosecute him, they're not gonna go after him. Would that be the best thing? Or would the Democrats look at that as like, oh, we've got him now, we're going for the next guy? Uh, listen, the, the Democrats see blood in the water. I don't know how you're going to back off, and I don't know how we de-escalate this thing. So conversations are nice, and I'd like to have those. But seriously, if you were advising, if, if they called you to the Senate today in the House and the POTUS was there and they said, DRW, how do we de-escalate our country? Um, from a political standpoint, what would you say?
1: I mean, if we're truly trying to do for the good of the country, Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, Mike Pence should all resign. Oh well. But I mean, I mean and, and, and I mean that because of their their roles in getting us here, but that's not how politics works. So that was a nice unicorn and fairy dust answer. Um, so I am I am concerned. I was concerned coming out of the election. I, I did think that Georgia was at, at huge risk, like whether you believed in cheating or not, or whether you believed in polls or not. Um, the Democrats did win and they were projected to have a like a sweep and they won Georgia. So there, I, it felt to me like they were going to control the Senate. So now they have all three houses. And similar to what the Republicans did when they controlled the Senate, they ran through their Supreme Court nominee. There will be retribution. They will pass two years worth of things. Overlaid to that is you can't pass things when there's no money. And so then you're going to print currency. And the biggest problem will be the only way to keep the stock market going up is to pump the mm-hmm. like pump liquidity and then devalue the United, the U S dollar, which will lead to such inflation that it will hurt the voters who vote for the Democrats who are predominantly poor predominantly. Yeah. And so, so they're in this like horrible situation. My hope is that we get some moderates like a Christy Nome out of South Dakota, who I think has been great through the whole crisis. Um, and, and, you know, pick some Democrat leaders that, you know, Pete Buttigieg, for all that you can say about him or not, or Andrew Yang. I mean, they're at least more reasonable and non-lifetime career politicians like these other people. So hopefully we see more of that um, moving to 2022. I think the next six months are going to be horrible. And Biden is frail and mentally weak. And they have kept him in a basement because of those things. So like we had a mentally unstable president, although he was a very stable genius. Um, we now have a mentally weak and deteriorating every day because of age president. Both are scary and, and it's going to be interesting.
0: It's going to be interesting. And the, other, the thing that's frustrating for me is I don't know where things really are right now. And here's what I mean by that. So if I were to pull up the price of oil, what would it be right now?
1: Yeah, fifty-two, baby.
0: Brent's at fifty-five. Okay, there is no way on God's green earth that that is where the price of oil should be. No. Uh, Okay, Uh, and of course, when you look at the stock,
1: it's forty-seven, and without stimulus, it's thirty.
0: Right, and so you know, so when you, you just take what little I know about the oil and gas market, you go, okay, well, that's way off. I don't know much about Tesla stock, but enough to know that they've had enough problems that their stock's overinflated. And and you just, you you, just, just a simpleton like myself can kind of look and see that all of this is severely overinflated. Um, And so, if they do not keep it going, as you say, somehow, then you know they won't win re-election in the midterms. They'll get destroyed. If it does fall apart, they're going to destroyed. But if it falls apart and they're destroyed, then that means that we had a lot of bad stuff. And one of my frustrations with Trump was. Candidate Trump talked about some of the economic issues that were underlying um, and how to solve them in a decent way. POTUS Trump didn't do any of that. He just did the same thing Obama did, the same thing Bush did, the same thing Clinton did. And so no president has the fortitude to actually come out and say, we've got to quit printing money from the Fed. We've got to quit doing this. And so I don't know how long the game goes on, but at some point it happens. And, and, um, you know, the, the longer let me put it like this the longer it goes on the bigger the gap between the wealthy and the poor get which means that you're going to have a lot more anger building up amongst Americans because you're going to have you know forty jeff bezos and we're all going to be living on minimum wage
1: well you remember the occupy wall street in 2008 like yeah. people people who were mad then should be infinitely more mad now and what is worse is that because of fomo like this reminds me of two thousand, where every day the stock goes up. Like the capital was raided in a coup. that Wolf Blitzer was denouncing, and the stock market not only ended up that day, it ended up the next day. Like the stock market is going nothing but up. So you get people who are now borrowing against their house and saying, you know what I should do is I should buy Bitcoin and Tesla stock. There we go. And so the people who are going to get hurt the most are the people who have the most to lose because the the wealthy people, like, so what, if this stock falls 30%, you're worth a hundred billion dollars, you're worth $70 billion. You're worth $10 million, you're worth $7 million. Like you're fine, but it's the people that are worth like $11,000 in their 401k that just went long Tesla because everyone else did. And now that 11,000 is worth 1,000. That's where it's. And again, those are predominantly Democrat voters from urban centers who are predominantly of color and who are already disenfranchised because they don't have you know, call it privilege, call it opportunity, you know, whatever. There's a gap. And that was not addressed at any point in the last four years, nor do I think it'll be addressed in the next four years. And what will
0: happen is the government will come in and say, we have to make new regulation to prevent this from happening oh, uh, totally, totally. So I'll, on the stock market thing. We'll wrap up this. I, I, I saw a guy that I like and respect and they asked him, how could the stock market go up after whatever term they use for Wednesday? I can't remember. Insurrection, coup, whatever it was. I don't remember. Um, how could it go up? And he said, Well, Wall Street is looking at these companies making money in profits. and profits. It's like, and this is the like guy I like, I respect, I look at a lot of stuff. And I was like, You know, okay, if, if that's true, then why are we printing more sh- as a, have you heard the term stimmy? <laughs> some t- some TikTok uh stock they calls them stimmies, stimmy checks. So I'm calling them stimmies now. Why do yeah. we keep printing stimmies? Like, why why do we need more stimmies if if everything's so good? like again i'm not an economist i'm just yeah. a, I'm a simpleton and so
1: well, yeah that they're saying so they say the stock market looks 6 to 9 months out well the stock market was high in june so 6 to 9 months out is march and we know that demand is not returning people don't have jobs people don't have disposable income people aren't paying their rent they aren't paying their mortgages but somehow they're going to like they have all this pent up demand mm-hmm. unfortunately i think that the narrative is self fulfilling if you're a financial advisor most people are long owned like and they get fees for keeping people in the market, and so they, and they know that no one can time it. I mean, I think that Fauci predicting that every American was going to die, that Imperial model saying 2.2 million Americans were going to die. My article April 16th that said oil would probably average 32. I was right on the demand, I was wrong on the price. But right. like experts are wrong, mm-hmm. but but we can't induce panic, and they know. You know, as bad as 2020 was, the market went up and over the course of time the market goes up. So they're just trying to calm everyone down so nobody sells, but like you it doesn't make sense for for so many reasons. And it it ends it ends horribly, Ryan, and and that's when people are really going to be hurt. So
0: Yeah, and the best the best case scenario as I see it right now is that if it doesn't end horribly, it ends where 10 to 20 years we're all making basically the same wages we are now, <laughs> you know, the cost of living's gone up. We're not in a dust bowl recession, the great great depression, but it's like Good Lord, like, like Somalia passed this up. What happened? <laughs> you know, because right. you know, we might not go, you might just be like scorched earth, but the best case scenario right now is that it's just um it's just very slow economic growth, like miserably slow. And you know, we're 2030, 20, 2040 20, going, wow, how'd that get there? Um, I have some thoughts on ways that, that we might avoid that, but not get that today. But anyways, um, all right, DRW. Um I'm gonna link to we're pu- we're publishing for this podcast. We're gonna publish your SubStack you published on Thursday about you responding to the Capitol Hill event, right? Yeah. We're going to publish that. And then we'll link to your, your SubStack there. Are you publishing only on SubStack now or still on your website or
1: so still, still on the website, but, but I, I mean, I do think SubStack and, and I think, and I know you do as well. I think about the future media and, mm-hmm. and independence being key. And I think that, you know, for the listeners of this and, the, and your fans and my fans and, and, Like they know what they're getting and they know there's independence or at least there's transparency when there isn't independence. And so I I like the Substack community. um, And so I will continue to publish there and on the website um, and then continue to post on LinkedIn. But you know, the reality is, is I expect that LinkedIn will kick me off. Cause like, again, for them to be intellectually consistent, they banned me um, just like Twitter banned Trump. So like if Trump just opens a new account as Donald Trump, like Trump is like Twitter's That's gonna it. cancel it, and so it's actually amazing. I've been back on LinkedIn for three weeks, and I so, how it was hilarious. Yeah, I, I mean it. So I'm trying to figure out what the right community is off of a social media platform, which I think probably 70 million Americans are thinking about today. Like what does life without Twitter look like, and 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 you know is Parler the answer? Probably not. But like we need a we need communities to come together again. Because communities is how we built this country, you know. Otherwise, we're just a whole bunch of villages attacking people, which is like the Vikings in nine ninety seven. So, <laughs> so if we don't want to go back to Vikings, we got to start having the villages come together through communities.
0: I agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, uh, you are on LinkedIn as you mentioned for for now. You <laughs> you're you're under your real account. So
1: <laughs> I, I, I find music. I, I like everyone's like, oh, "What did you do different?" I'm like, "Well, I used my real name." And I haven't used the hashtag that I used to use. So I don't use hashtag hot take of the day on my posts anymore because I'm trying to be really sneaky and fly under the radar with LinkedIn.
0: Ooh. I almost used the hashtag when I saw you on there and I was like, I don't know. I don't want to get kicked off first day, but I got a friend request. And I was like, okay, someone's, someone's finally done it. They've, they've taken the moniker and they're going to be the fake DRW account on, uh, on LinkedIn. Well, it's good. I know there was a lot of people who were excited to see you back. So it's good to see you back on, linkedin i will just say this generally speaking i do hate social media i i use it as a mystery evil I, I hate trying to figure out the algorithm i would just much rather have the conversation with people like whether whether it's video or it's podcast or it's even through my newsletter which i like because people send back i get some really good one thing i learned is i get some uh, people who are critical of what i say but they're like you said this and this just doesn't work because da dot da, da, da. i'm like that is not at all what i meant and i go read it and, and i'm like okay Okay. Now, I mean, I never would have read that way. I didn't write that way, but now that they said that, I can absolutely see why they thought I wrote that. That's really weird. And, and so it gives me a chance to try to be better on how I craft my senses and which yeah. I might regret that, but you know, but it, it helps, it helps all that stuff. So I think those are things that if you can engage with people that that's really where the substance is, because I'll say it again, this is part of my point I was critical of gang is that having access to the data doesn't mean
1: anything. Yeah. everyone can have it it's the interpretation and the narrative and 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 laying out what your assumptions are but you know i mean i've said this i love your newsletter i love what you're doing i love this i'd be i'd be very interested for those who are either listening live now or or here later you know is this is this a format that that people can see sort of the you know i mean rush limbaugh is the guy that came to my mind right joe remember jim rome from sports oh yeah i love rome And you just you have like a live show you do like Saturday mornings or whatever and and whatever the issues of the week were like clearly last night was a big issue. And and you talk about it and people can go about their Saturday and it's already I'd be I'd be fascinated to hear if this is a format that people like and enjoy and and how they call in or interact or whatever that looks like.
0: Yes, we've never tried to do the call in thing before. Um, You know, and our numbers on Periscope is only it's only I really track is Periscope.
1: The more we do it,
0: the more consistently better, like anything else they get. Um, of course, it's tied to your follower count and stuff like that. So that's kind of where the game is. You got to try to get these followers so that people watch your show. But we usually get pretty good feedback about the show. Um, but it's with anything else, you know, the, 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 the goal for me is I don't want to say some controversial. This isn't controversial. I want to say some controversial because I believe it, you know. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the line I, I struggle with because I have a lot of controversial takes. Um, some I'm not, I don't want to express because I don't know how to articulate well, stuff like that, but I don't want to be controversial just to get people responding, but to get people to respond, you almost got to be somewhat controversial. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the the thread as well that you have to kind of, have to kind of figure out. So I don't know. We, we, uh, we do these um, with Chris Fitton on feeding the dragon a couple times a week. And um, I do with Ellen, you know, we do our show yeah. on here. Um and do text one guest podcast on here. Uh so we've been trying out this live multi-stream platform and so this is the first inside the warm we, we did. Uh kind of wanted to stick it to Twitter best we could <laughs> talking about them on their platform. We're probably not even live anymore. <laughs> but um so anyways, so we'll see. But uh anyways, thanks for your time. I know this was kind of we were kind yeah. of just your text last night as the world felt like it's burning down and <laughs> I,
1: it's amazing that the people who just go on about like living their lives, like if you had just gone to sleep in February and woke up today. And you missed like everything your stock account would be more mm-hmm. you'd, like, you'd be like oh wow i mean it would be great and so so for everyone i commend everyone who went out for dinner or went to a movie or hung out with friends or you know went to church or whatever last night um and avoided the whole chaos that was on um any media feed of any kind i i envy you I envy you as well. So, well, thanks as always, Ryan. Always enjoy talking to you, and I look forward to chatting with you uh, soon. So, thanks for having me.